What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Mind Over Macros podcast. As always, I'm your host, Mike Milner, and today I was joined by a repeat guest to the show, Casey Joe, Dr. Casey Joe Arvidas. Uh, she came on to talk about the psychology behind the coronavirus, which I saw a post that she made. It was a it was an incredible post and it just was something that I was like oh my god we have to talk about this on the show so you know her background in psychology and just understanding why we react certain ways and how our brain works and all that stuff that you know lights me up and I was excited for this conversation and it did not disappoint we actually went into you know various different topics from cognitive distortions and you know self-awareness and touching on fixed versus growth mindset and delayed gratification and you know there's so many gems in here that you can actually apply to fitness and we did steer the conversation towards fitness eventually um, but we got into a lot of the psychology about the coronavirus and how to just approach it approach it in a logical way and just assess if your thoughts have validity and then how to take action and how to you know take precaution without panicking. So this was an incredible episode. If you enjoy it, please take a screenshot and tag us both on Instagram. Casey is at Coach Casey Joe and I am at Coach underscore Mike underscore Milner. Enjoy the episode. All right, guys, I'm joined today by a very special guest who has a ton of credentials, but none more important than being a repeat guest on the Mind Over <laughs> podcast. None more. <laughs> Noah Vitas. Uh, first of all, thanks for joining me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to be back. Absolutely. So I read your post on Instagram about the coronavirus and the psychology behind it, and I was like, Immediately, we need to do a podcast about this because it, it, it truly was immediate too. <laughs> it was like, this was so good, uh, I need to get you back on. Uh, for those of you who missed our first episode together, we talked more about uh, fixed versus growth mindset and just mindsets in general. Um, Casey has a background in psychology and her PhD um, specific to fitness, which I love. Just you know, taking the concept of you know how we our perceptions and how our mindsets impact our ability to achieve a certain result when it comes to fitness, wellness. Um, and I love that as just, you know, a whole theme and so many different paths we can go. But I, you know, for this particular episode, I really wanted to kind of dig into what is popular right now, which is obviously <laughs> the uh, coronavirus and the reaction to it and response. So um, first, if you want to just give everybody who may have um, missed out on the first episode, just a little background about who you are, and then you know we'll kind of go from there. Yeah, definitely. And thank you for the lovely introduction already. Um, as Mike said, I do have a PhD in psychology, focusing mostly on growth versus fixed mindset. And that's what we focused most on in the last episode, but specific to health behavior change. So how your mindset essentially can predict whether or not you exercise so much or eat so healthy. Um, and that's kind of what I focused on in my PhD program. Now I own my own nutrition coaching and health coaching business, and I'm kind of employing what I learned throughout my PhD and in my research into that coaching world. Yeah, I love it. And, you know, speaking my language, every single post that you make that's, <laughs> you know, talking about mindset and, and the psychology and why we have certain thought patterns and, you know, what I 
particularly am fascinated by is just the explanation and the logic behind certain things when it comes to like cognitive distortions or why we seek instant gratification or why we try and make sense of, of certain situations and you know really looking at it from a psychology perspective but also from an evolutionary perspective and, mm-hmm. and you know understanding that like we survived because of we needed to know things for certain and novelty was not a good thing. Um, and we've obviously come a long way since then, but you know, now we're kind of dealing with like this old software in a newer environment. And it, it presents this like super interesting situation where we kind of almost have to interrupt some of these automatic thought patterns and automatic behaviors and, and kind of adapt to our current situation. So, um, when you broke down the psychology behind the reaction to coronavirus, like that is stuff that I'm so fascinated by. Like, why do we react certain ways? Why do we think certain ways? So um, let's just start to kind of unpack that. And for anybody that missed Casey's post, I highly recommend you go back and, and just go to her Instagram page and, uh, you know, go through her feed and, and find the post specific to coronavirus. It shouldn't be too difficult to no, spot. <laughs> <laughs> so um, let's just start there and kind of present, you know, um, you know, what your kind of uh, outlook is on the reaction and the response to what's going on right now. Yeah. And it's interesting that you bring up just like evolutionary kind of aspects of things. And there's an entire field of psychology called evolutionary psychology that kind of does exactly that, like pinpoints why we do things based on how things used to be thousands and thousands of years ago. And just like you said, our brains haven't quite caught up to like iPhones (laughs) and Wi-Fi, Um, but we do still have a lot of that same like hardware in our brains, just like you said. Um, So one of those big things is negativity bias. And that's just this basic idea of how we tend to focus on bad and not so much good. And where this sort of comes into play with coronavirus specifically is just so thousands of years ago, right? It was great for survival to have this negativity bias and always focusing on the bad because we want to be on the lookout for saber toothed tigers and always be trying to survive truly. Um, But today it's really just only great for excessive worry when we don't need it. So With coronavirus, we are very worried because we're seeing lots of other people be very worried. We're um, kind of going into these modes of panic buying because we see other people panic buying. Um, So it's a lot of just like social factors too. We see other people doing this. We focus on the bad with that negativity bias that kind of spirals into this entire situation that we're looking at right now. Yeah, so two different things come to mind immediately when you say that. And the first is I recently heard a couple of statistics, which I'm not sure um, how accurate they are because I did hear them on another podcast and I didn't have a chance to like go back and fact check, but it was something along the lines of um, negative situations are four to seven times more powerful than positive. And, um, and so also hearing things or saying things out loud is 10 times more powerful than thinking it. So if you, if you think about the dynamic here, you know, we have this negativity bias. There is this kind of like mass hysteria over the coronavirus. And we're also sharing with other people and expressing the negative outlook and, and all of the stuff that we're hearing on the media and, and through social media. And, and it becomes this like exponentially greater kind of panic than would would normally be called for in this type of situation. Um, so that's the first thing. And, and can you just kind of talk to how do we combat that? 
Like this is something that most people are exposed to on a daily basis. So we know that we have this negativity bias and we know that, um, you know, we, the power of negative thoughts are, are more powerful than positive. And we know that saying something out loud kind of makes that combination even greater. So um, what's like the first step for not falling into that trap of like, oh my God, I have to like go buy, you know, massive amounts of hand sanitizer and all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And what's interesting too, is that people are buying a lot of toilet paper, which truly doesn't even really make sense, but we, we can get into that too. Um, but kind of the first step for everything, honestly, doesn't matter what problem we're really looking at is self-awareness and acceptance. So just like coming to the point, instead of like, we're so irrational when it comes to like emotional decision-making. And we like to think that we are these like logical beings that are always making decisions based on like hard facts and knowledge. Um, but truthfully, like emotions are always going to outweigh everything. So in that case, like what we can really try to do is just take a second and think if you're really having like worrisome thoughts over coronavirus or really any sort of negative thought pattern, just taking a second to accept where you're at right now. Like we cannot change the fact that this is indeed like a spreading virus. Like that is happening. It is definitely more harmful for those that are like immunocompromised, older, younger, that sort of thing. Um, so maybe you're not as at risk as you, as the media would like you to think, right? So accepting where you're at, accepting what is going on around you and just like being self-aware of what is going on and thinking like chances are anyone listening to this, you don't even know someone who has contracted coronavirus, right? And even if you like, you, even if you do, like that person is likely fine, right? <laughs> so just like going, walking through those steps and getting yourself out of that like emotional land and into logical land as much as you can um, is really a really good first step. And that goes for truly any kind of um, dysfunctional thought or irrational thought, like you said, um, cognitive distortions, that's a great first step is to accept and then like be a little bit more self-aware of what is truly going on. Yeah, I think that's that's a perfect way to put it. And I think there's a, you know, obviously a huge difference between being, you know, taking precaution versus panic. So like you mentioned, you know, the whole toilet paper thing, like where is that coming from? Um, but as you were kind of unpacking the negativity bias and then one of the things you mentioned was like we see other people reacting in a certain way. And that's where I think it's it's fascinating because there's um and and you can probably give more professional terms to this, but um, I saw a study that was talked about somebody's likelihood to help another person in danger. And it had a strong correlation with somebody else stepping in. So like seeing what the crowd was doing first. Bystander effect. Yeah. So that's (laughs) exactly right. So it's like, you know, we're seeing all of this stuff happening um, from other people around us. So that makes us more likely to just follow into that kind of like mm-hmm. group think. And again, if you take that back from like evolutionary perspective, we survive because of our ability to form groups and work together. And um, so there's this natural tendency to say like, what, what is everybody else doing? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that brings up an important point about being intentional about where you're getting information from. Like my mom called me and, and the other day and she's like, in a mass panic. And then she's talking about watching the news constantly. And I'm like, well, if you watch the news constantly, you're going to fall into that panic just by the nature of what you're hearing. It's all going to be negative and you're going to create this, you know, um, this perspective that everybody is, is panicking and everybody is doing this thing to, you know, and it, it just being intentional about what you consume. So um, just talk about that with like the, the bystander effect and, and, you know, being specific about where you're getting information from. 
Yeah, absolutely. So what's interesting too, is like with the bystander effect, I'm, there's a study that's coming to mind, or maybe it wasn't even a study. It might've just been a situation. And I, for whatever reason, remember that the girl in this story, her name was Kitty. That's all I really remember about like specific details, but she essentially was like attacked in um, like an alleyway. And there were, they found out later on that whoever she was attacked by, they figured it out, but they found out later on the police officers did um, that there was a handful of people around that saw her being attacked, but nobody called 911. So I think it was like up to like 10 or 20 different people later after the fact said like, oh, I saw that happening too. Or did you see this or whatever? And then when they went back and they said, well, why didn't you call? And it was like, oh, because I figured someone else would do it. Like it was in an open public space, like someone else is going to take care of it. But what ended up happening was nobody called, right? So that's what a really good example of what the bystander effect is, is just like simply assuming that someone else has got something handled and that that's why you don't have to do it, right? So on the other kind of side of things with fear contagion, which is what we're kind of talking about what's going on here with coronavirus is not necessarily that nobody's doing anything because everyone thinks that like the government has it handled. So we're like good to go, right? That's clearly not what's happening. Um, nobody, like there's so much um, like conflicting messages and people just keep getting told that like something dangerous is coming and all you need to do is wash your hands, which obviously seems like somewhat unreal. Um, so all of this just turns into like resorting to extremes and fear contagion, which is what I was kind of contrasting with bystander effect. So with that, like people are just stocking up and they're scared, they're stocking up on toilet paper, they're stocking up on face masks, hand sanitizer, et cetera, even like food at this point, um, and they're scared. So they feel a stronger need to do so because they're seeing all these other people doing it too. So instead, like contrasting with the bystander effect where nobody's doing anything because they think someone's doing it, everyone is doing this because they see everyone else doing it. So it's it's interesting to kind of put those um, kind of side by side and compare them. I've never really like thought that way before. So thank you for, for having me put that together there. Um, but yeah, so definitely different than bystander effect. Um, but it is like fear contagion is what they've called it in psychology. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that, uh, you know, some of these things where you hear the information over and over again, like, you know, buying masks is not actually going to help you. And there are people who are actually sick who need these masks and now mm -hmm. there's a shortage. And, and it's, um, I guess sometimes the challenge is that it's very difficult to combat emotion with logic. And I think that sometimes when there's an emotional response and, you know, honestly, we could apply this to fitness in so many different ways, but when there's an emotional response to something, um, simply providing the logic like, well, this mask is not going to help you isn't enough for somebody to, to be like, oh, okay, well, I'm not going to do anything about it. So um, how do you kind of work? And you can even apply this to, you know, in dealing with like a client who, you know, believes that there's going to be an emotional um, need for 10 pounds lost or whatever the case may be. Um, and simply stating something very logically or practically may not be enough. Um, what's that like process that you go through to kind of help somebody get to to get to that point of understanding that they're making an emotional decision without trying to, you know, kind of reduce the validity of it or make them feel bad about it and, and what's your approach there? Yeah. And it's interesting, right? Because to some degree, you don't want to like tell them that they're wrong in feeling that way because nobody's wrong in having an emotional response to something, especially because it tr quite literally is just like what our brains and our bodies are designed to do. Um, but I think to some degree, 
just knowing this, that like, oh, you are like an emotional decision maker, whether or not you want to believe it. Um, once again, it's just like self-awareness and acceptance, right? I'm going to probably come back to this one or two more times throughout this episode even. Um, but just realizing that you are an emotional being and that's how you kind of think of things first. And what I do often with my clients who do get caught up in emotions, whether it's um, poor relationships with food or food anxiety. Like these are all emotionally driven things, even though like I will have clients who say like, I know this is ridiculous, but, and you know, like, so I think what I like to do with my clients and what I would suggest maybe other coaches do, or you try with yourself too, is getting to that point where it's like, a, it's okay. Like, it's okay that you're feeling that way. It's normal. So that normalcy piece is really important. Like it's normal. I have other clients who are doing, who feel this way too, which I do. It's not like fake, um, but I have other clients who feel this way. Um, it's normal for you to feel this way. Other people feel this way. This is just like, that's how it is. So like kind of bringing people to a sense of normalcy is really important. And then again, like accepting kind of where you're at, like you feel this way, like don't pretend like you don't like, it's definitely more harmful than it is helpful to pretend like something doesn't exist or pretend like a feeling doesn't exist. Like it's more helpful to actually try to work through it and dig through it. Um, and a lot of times when it does come to like health and fitness sort of situations aside from coronavirus, um, when it comes to those situations, I really try to work with folks to figure out like where it's coming from. And I think that's something that a lot of coaches don't necessarily do. Like I'm sure Mike, you and your team are fantastic at it. Um, but don't take the time to like, A, even like make connections with their clients or B, like try to figure out where some of these negative emotions are stemming from and work through it to kind of help them reframe it into something that is more accurate and something that is actually helpful. So those are just kind of the probably first few things I would do. Yeah. I love that. And, and one of the questions that I get a lot is, uh, how do you create self-awareness? Because some people, you know, if you've ever come across those people and you're like, that person is just so unaware of a lot of the things and you, you notice a difference. Like when somebody walks into a room and, and honestly, the first person that, that just came to my mind um, was Drew Canoli, who we both got to see speak yes. at the Impact Collective. Like he walked into the room and I was like, that dude is like the most self-aware person <laughs> I've ever seen. He just like owned it and he owned uh -huh. himself and who he was and everything. And it was like this aura about him. And then I've seen a like direct contrast of that and I'm not going to name any names, but like people here, like that person is just so unaware. So yeah. when like the person who, who's like unaware, how do we move them to a place of awareness? Or is it something that just has to be, um, that you do on your own or, or, you know, having a coach to, you know, because again, you don't want to come across as trying to point out anything that's wrong, but creating an objective perspective of awareness can be a challenging thing to do for somebody. It's like this, uh, like this unconscious incompetence, like we don't know what we don't know. So how do we bring somebody into that next level of conscious incompetence? Like now all of a sudden we know what, you know, what we don't know and we, we want to work to fix it. Yeah. So I definitely think it takes some degree of desire. So again, like if you don't know that you are aren't self-aware. Like how do you get to that point? And that's where I think like coaches or just experience or honestly, like a lot of the times it's just time, right? Like over time, as you do experience different things in life, or you're like noticing things about yourself or other people, you might be like, Oh, what am I missing? Or you listen to a specific podcast. Like this is where I think I made a post recently. This might go on tangent a little bit, but <laughs> I made a post recently about how having a growth mindset isn't just about reading self-help help books. 
But like, there's nothing wrong with self-help books, nothing wrong with like personal development, like podcasts or content or things like meditating and stuff. But if you're just doing that for the sake of doing it, but then not like trying to implement it into your life, that's where things go wrong and don't really get fully translated, right? So I think that for someone who is listening to this and might think, am I self-aware? Like, I don't know. Or if they're trying to work on their self-awareness, I think that's when things like self-help books or any sort of like personal development um, activities or podcasts, things like that might actually be really helpful, but you have to be very intentional with it, right? You have to go into it thinking like I am looking to work on my self-awareness. I know that I want to work on my self-awareness. So just like having that desire and recognition at first um, can kind of help you get there. So it's like, it's almost like very meta, but being self-aware of your lack of self-awareness. So like noticing it and being self-aware that you want to be more self-aware, um, that is kind of the first step. And then I think where coaches and just like other people can really come in handy is just like asking really good questions and not just always prescribing things to your client. Um, so if they are like struggling with food anxiety and maybe you're feeling like they aren't really quite there on their, um, the self-awareness spectrum, uh, maybe just really asking them to like dig deeper, getting into where maybe this anxiety is stemming from, whether that was like all the way back in their childhood, which they maybe never even thought about before. Um, but if you ask someone the right questions and just like a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper, almost there, like a little bit deeper, you can open up a like coffin of self-awareness that would have never been found otherwise. Um, and I think that that's where being, a, that sets apart like really, really good coaches from like good coaches, right? As the people who can really help people get to that point um, in their self-awareness journey, if we want to call it that. Um, and yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's perfect. Cause there's, there's so many layers to peel back and, you know, just starting with that, like you said, that initial desire um, to, to go, you know, to do that introspection and to start peeling back those layers and understand where these stories are coming from and, and why am I feeling this way in certain situations. Um, and I, I did, like, there was a reason why I went that direction. It was because with people responding to the coronavirus and, and going you know, on an emotional reaction to like stock up on a year's worth of supply of toilet paper, for example, for somebody like that, you know, just saying there's no reason, like buying toilet paper is stupid because coronavirus doesn't cause diarrhea or any sort of like <laughs> excess shitting or anything like that. Right, like exactly. you're stupid for doing that. It's not like, you know, when somebody has an emotional belief, if you basically confront them and be like, this is wrong, then they're going to probably hold on to that belief even stronger. Mm -hmm. And we see this all the time in the fitness space and we see it now. Like, so I guess the question is for those people who are who are doing that, not saying that you would like actually coach somebody through how to handle the coronavirus, but let's just say <laughs> hypothetically, would your approach be like, let's, let's address like why you think you need to buy this much toilet paper and then start to ask questions, leading questions that get them to the conclusion themselves. Is that kind of the direction you'd go? Yeah. I think like even more basic than that, like I would honestly, for anyone who is like truly worried about the coronavirus, I'm sure you will have people who come on and listen to this because they are right. If you are feeling truly worried and like anxious and like, obviously I have friends texting me this morning saying like everyone in their massive company is like working from home now and all of this stuff. Like, obviously that's going to cause like, Oh, is this important? It's gotta be important. Cause like capital one is doing this and Facebook is doing that and Coachella is being moved to October and et cetera, et cetera. 
Um, but just like pause, right? Like stop, like your mother, right? Stop listening to the news 24 seven pause and like, think about how rational your thoughts are this. And this could be applied again to everything. But if we're talking about coronavirus specifically, you're seeing, I honestly should watch the news more than I do. Um, I get most of my news when I go to the gym and it's on at the TV on the TVs there, but it's, yeah, it's coronavirus 24 seven right now, which is what the media wants to do because they want views. They want to have sensational headlines. They want to get your attention. So keeping in mind, like you see that and you start to like feel some like boiling anxiety or like a really strong desire to go and stock up on toilet paper, just take a second, like pause, like seriously, just stop everything. Right. And think like, how rational are my thoughts? Yes. I see all of this here. So there is some, like, there's some rationality to it. Otherwise we wouldn't have even have the thoughts in the first place. Yes. There is like a pandemic happening. Yes. This is a spreading virus that is new and we're still kind of unsure of how it acts and how we need to handle the situation. But like, again, like going back to, there's only so like a couple hundred cases in the U S I don't know anybody who has coronavirus. Like I'm a very healthy individual. Things like just like walking through that and like noticing how there's so much more evidence against that thought than there is evidence for that thought. So just like pausing how rational it is, how rational is it? And then going through the evidence for and the evidence against, and that might already just start to get you into a place of like, oh my God, okay, you're right. (laughs) You know, and just kind of walking yourself through that process. Um, And like you said, there's definitely some, some, to some degree, we want to prepare, but you can prepare without being super panicky. Um, and again, it comes back to like, we are anxious about potentially getting the virus. So we aren't thinking about, um, healthcare professionals or people who are actually sick. So like, I have nurse friends who are saying that they are like running out of face masks. Like that's not not okay. Right. They can't do their job without some of these things. So you like Susie down the street doesn't need six boxes of face masks. Like that's just like, that's irrational. So like being prepared to the point of like having a certain amount of supplies at home, like yes, working from home and maybe just like spending less time traveling or seeing friends or whatever um, and taking those necessary precautions. But you can do that without just like being super anxiety driven and full of panic. So um, just like keep in mind too, of course, that thoughts are just thoughts and you can decide whether or not to act on them or to listen to them, hear them out, think about the rationality of them and then push it away. You know, it doesn't need to really turn into anything either. Yeah. And I think going through that thought process. And then one of the things that I did was like, let me fact check some of these things and, and coming across statistics, like there's only been 14 deaths in the U S and, you know, looking at the face masks and, and, and realizing that that actually isn't going to protect you. There's no reason right. to buy them. And um, so I think sometimes where we get our information from is important because a lot of people immediately go to the news, which unfortunately, like you said, is, is sensationalized. And here's another fun statistic for you. Watching the news for three minutes it increases your likelihood of reporting you had a bad day by 27%. So, you know, there's also the negativity bias and, and, the, and I'm sure that the news outlets know that and know that that's going to draw in more of an audience than being, you know, super uh, optimistic and, and mm-hmm. go the positive route. So understanding where you're getting your resource, you know, your, your information from, and then actually doing some, some due diligence when you're checking your facts and making a decision to buy toilet paper, it might be worth just 
you know, cross-referencing, is this actually something that I need? Um, is coronavirus going to cause, you know, something that would then require me to have a year's supply of toilet paper? <laughs> Probably not, you know. So I think that sometimes we, you know, just being intelligent, you know, just intentional about where we're getting information from can definitely help some of that, like, gut reaction of, you know, mm -hmm. I see somebody wearing a mask. Oh, I must run out and buy as many masks as possible. Um, so, you know, I kind of want to go into a little bit about like how we can apply this information, how we can use the tools that, that you teach and, and kind of like look at this from, you know, what we know about just our negativity bias, what we know about our emotional response to things and applying that to fitness because I, I look at it as almost like the same thing, even though they're, you know, they're wildly different when we look at like talking about coronavirus versus talking about fitness. But if you think about it, there's, it's, it's almost eerie how there's like this spread of information. And then we see an emotional response to something like, you know, jumping on uh, supplements or a quick fix or like a 30 day detox. And, and it's like this, everybody's doing it, or this is the thing. And um, it is oftentimes fear-based. It's oftentimes like uh, that instant gratification that you also talked about in your post. Um, so what is like, this is probably like the most difficult question to answer because it is something that we just, we have to battle against as, as professionals, but where do we start? Where do we start to have that conversation and help like present the right information? Yeah, no, it definitely, it definitely is tough. I think, um, to some degree, like people know they need to eat healthier and exercise, but yet we still have a lot of obese people and a lot of issues related to obesity. Um, so to some degree, just having that knowledge isn't enough. And that's actually what like got me into grad school in the first place. It's like, we all know this stuff and it's making me feel fantastic. So why is nobody doing it? Um, so that's why I got into school in the first place, truly. Um, but as far as like kind of first steps to get people out of maybe this more like jumping on the bandwagon for everything, whether that is through fear contagion or instant gratification. Um, I still think there's a, a bit of knowledge that just isn't known in this space, right? So we, we know that exercise is good for us. We know that healthy eating is good for us. We know we need to do more of that and be at a healthy body weight to have like healthy biomarkers and all of that good stuff. But not everyone understands like their basic psychology. And this comes back to a lot of like self-awareness work too, where and this is where maybe you could become more self-aware, bringing back that second question too, um, is just like understanding how your brain works and responds to threats or um, responds to things like we were talking about, um, whether it's like the keto diet or whatever is like popular at the moment, just like understanding that your brain wants that instant gratification, even though it may not be the best thing for you. Like I know that I would rather have like the dark chocolate in the fridge rather than having like a super healthy meal. Um, but like, I know right now what serves my goals better is going to do the, have the super healthy meal, maybe have just like some of the dark chocolate, you know? So I think just taking a step back and like recognizing these things. And that's what I'm really trying to do on my platform on Instagram in general is to bring awareness to a lot of that. Like, this is what your brain is doing. And for the most part, a lot of times people are like, Oh, that makes sense. I get that. Like totally makes sense. Um, but at the same time, it's like actually research backed and we can actually see where this is coming from. It's not just like, 
it's like connecting the dots in psychology research lane for everybody else. Um, and actually getting to that point where you understand how your brain is doing that and why it's doing that can be really powerful to get you to the point of like moving past the fear contagion, moving past like the bandwagon stuff and actually like focusing on you and what you need in the moment and what you need in order to like hit your long-term goals overall. Yeah. So I want to dig a little bit deeper into the instant gratification versus delayed gratification. And, um, you know, there's the famous Stanford study, the marshmallow study where, um, you know, it was, I'm not sure what the time frame was, but it was like, get one marshmallow now or wait mm-hmm. a certain amount of time and get two marshmallows later. Um, and, and there was a strong correlation between delaying gratification and, and waiting um, and, you know, performing better in school and being more fulfilled and, and all these other things. I'm sure you could speak in more detail about the study, but um, I was somebody who, when I started my fitness journey, was absolutely falling into the instant gratification. I remember vividly like waking up one day and being like, I have to get this weight off as soon as humanly possible. And for me, it was literally just trying instant gratification over and over and over again in different methods and then realizing that I was just doing the same shit in a different way <laughs> and getting the same result and being like, this is not right. So it just had to learn the hard way. Um, is there anything that we can do on the front end to not have to go through the, the hardships that I went through and, and you know go down that path so many times and dig ourselves a, a deeper hole where we can start to create more of an environment for delayed gratification versus having to uh, you know just just learn through experience yeah and I think I think a lot of it is not necessarily like moving the focus to the delayed gratification and like always focus on like the long-term outcome. Something that we talked a lot about on the last podcast was just like focusing more on the process. And so what you can really do is utilize that instant gratification, just like basic evolutionary psychology, human brain thing and leverage that rather than trying to like push it away. Like you were saying, try another thing, try another thing and nothing was working. Like, I think that that's a lot of like the diet and fitness industry, right? Like jumping from diet to diet or jumping from program to programs, things are still not working. I'm still spinning my wheels. And it's like, because you were promised a 30 day transformation or four weeks or eight weeks even. Um, and you're not getting what you wanted out of that. So instead of saying like, oh, it's just like not working for me, this is fixed mindset kind of language. (laughs) This isn't working for me. I'm not going to be able to do it. I've tried all these different things and nothing's working. Instead of doing that and instead of always focusing on the long-term goal and just like looking for those quick fixes and instant gratification, utilizing that instant gratification in a way that's actually beneficial for you. So what I mean by that is essentially just seeing where you can find maybe like an alternative reward system, system, something that's not necessarily going to hinder your goals either. Um, This can become problematic, right? When you are giving yourself a reward that's actually hindering that long-term goal. So if you are rewarding yourself with a pint of Ben and Jerry's when you did an extra 15 minutes on the Stairmaster, like you're not really helping yourself. Like, yeah, now you're excited about maybe doing the Stairmaster if it means a pint of Ben and Jerry's always, but you're not, you're still not working towards your long-term goal, right? So you need to be a little bit cognizant of what you're choosing to kind of replace this with. But if that is maybe getting a new pair of leggings at the end of the month or um, treating yourself to something else, putting $2 into like some sort of savings account for a trip or something like that. 
this is like, these are little things that you can do at the very beginning when you're really struggling to kind of move past that desire for instant, like whether it's body transformation, fat loss, muscle gain, whatever it looks like. Um, if you're really striving for that and you just like keep hitting wall after wall, try just moving that instant gratification to something else and then stop focusing on that long-term goal. Like I think we are get so goal obsessed with that long-term outcome that we forget to like really pay attention to what's going on now. And we just, that's when you keep hitting those walls and are not able to like continue to proceed to that long-term goal because you're keep running into those like instant gratification walls essentially. Yeah. And I think that that ties in something that we talked about in the first episode, which is having intrinsic motivators as well and not just relying on extrinsic. And, you know, you had mentioned that, you know, extrinsic motivators aren't all bad, that they have application in the right context, but we also want intrinsic motivators to kind of be like the rock that holds us together. It's like the, you know, the foundation of why we're doing this and and having that internal motivator to carry us through um, and to really give us a strong purpose for why this even matters. And then, you know, having some form of, of extrinsic, like, uh, I want to, you know, improve my performance in the gym. I want to lift a heavier weight. I want to get stronger, that sort of thing. And um, they have application in the right context, but I think that's a, a perfect way to put it. And investing more in the process because along those same lines, like you mentioned, using that desire for instant gratification to, you know, get some wins throughout the day and, you know, your day-to-day life. It could be something as simple as just, you know, making a first step that is like, a surefire win. Like, you know, mm-hmm. 100% without a shadow of a doubt, like this one thing could be, you know, drinking water first thing in the morning. It could be, you know, doing 10 push ups. It could be reading 10 pages of a book, whatever it is for that individual, like the surefire thing that you know you can do. And all of a sudden it builds confidence because you set yourself up to succeed. And now you're getting some sort of, you know, internal reward for keeping the promises that you made for yourself. And that starts to compound and, and starts to just build on, um, you know, the foundation. And I think that, um, like you mentioned, rather than being so focused on this outcome and this immediate result, um, we can leverage that, which I love. And then we can apply the, the intrinsic motivator to, to kind of carry us through. Um, so, you know, one of the things that you also made a post about, we could do like a whole episode breaking down all of your Instagram posts. Um, but it was, you know, it reminded me of the um, cognitive distortions that we have because you mentioned the past kind of repeating itself and then having that internal dialogue like, well, I failed at this before, so it makes sense that I'm going to fail at it again. And you're kind of creating this self-fulfilling prophecy. So um, can you talk about that from, you know, cognitive distortions, what they are, and then how we can create awareness and and start to um, get out of some of those uh, thought patterns? Yeah. So cognitive distortions in general, in general are exactly what they sound like. It's essentially just your brain's way of trying to make sense of things, but what it ends up doing is making sense of them in a quite irrational manner. So we can actually apply some of this to the coronavirus talk too. Um, And it's interesting because what it ends up looking like. And if you have like maybe had setbacks or failures in the past when it comes to health and fitness, like things become easier to imagine. Like it's easier to imagine that you might fail or not be able to move on. Or um, if you have been stuck for so long, like it's really easy to imagine that you wouldn't be able to get unstuck with the coronavirus. Like it's all over every, every media source, every social media source. Um, you're hearing it. It's what everybody is talking about. Like it sounds 
more easy to imagine, which makes it seem like it's more likely to happen, even though that's not necessarily the case. But that, so that goes not only with coronavirus, but also with your health and fitness goals. Like if it seems like it's easy to imagine yourself to fail or not be able to do something or anything like that, and that's getting back into the fixed mindset piece, then we're viewing it as more likely to happen. However, that is more or less like catastrophizing, which is also a cognitive distortion, just like seeing the worst case scenario, right? In this case, like not hitting your goals or contracting coronavirus. Um, but then kind of contrasting that with um, other situations like climate change, and this is what I, I made in that post was that contrasting with uh, with climate change. It's like a tongue twister. Contrasting with climate change. Um, so climate change is not so easy to imagine, right? Because it's something that is so far off. Well, it's it's happening, but the the actual like deleterious effects of that are so far off. It's not easy for us to imagine it happening. So it's making it seem like it's less likely to happen, even though that's clearly not the case. So it's just cognitive distortions all come back to just like the way your brain is trying to make sense of things. So if you're not seeing like dying polar bears like floating in the Arctic Ocean or whatever all the time in the ice caps melting, then you're not so worried about it. But what we do see is shit all over the media about coronavirus. So it's easy to imagine you getting it and being worried about it and being anxious about it, worrying about your kids getting it, etc. Um, so that's it's interesting because cognitive distortions are they're so common and so familiar. Um, I put up I think like 13 or 15 of them and there's even more than that. Um, but some other ones like all or nothing thinking, like that's something that is very common. Um, blaming, like always like thinking that someone else is to blame instead of yourself for things. It's just essentially your brain trying to make sense of things. But when it does so, it does so irrationally or distorted. And what you can really do is just, again, like taking the time to like think, when did I have this specific thought? What cognitive distortion does it line up with? And you can go back to that post. Um, we might need to like link a bunch of stuff here. I'm not really sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> um, you can go back to that post and see that, but um, pick out the cognitive distortion that it kind of lines up with. And then again, kind of like going back to like, what is the evidence for this? How did it make me feel? What is the evidence against this? And just like working through that whole thought process again, that we kind of talked about again at the beginning of this episode. Um, and then at the end of it thinking like, okay, now that I worked through all of this, how do I feel now? Is it, is, are my emotions still as intense? Do I believe that thought just as much? And like the, the chances are like you are not feeling as like strongly emotionally tied to that thing anymore. You aren't feeling like you believe in that thought so much anymore, just for the sake of like take again, pausing and just like taking the time to see how rational that thought is and line it up with like how it might be irrational, the evidence for it, and then going from there. Yeah, I love that. And and one of the things that I've heard recently that has stuck with me is the fact that we often make these conclusions based off of our past. And, you know, there's typically a, a root cause for why we feel these things. And it could be, you know, failing at a diet program. And so then we assume that the next diet we try is going to fail as well. And um, one of the things that one quote that I heard was that the, your uh, your past is not predictive. Um, the past is only predictive if your behavior stays the, sa the same. And so that was something that I thought back on my own journey and was like, yeah, it makes sense because every time I landed in the same spot, my behavior was exactly the same every single time. So of course, in, in that context, my past was predictive, but 
it's not inherently predictive because we have the ability to change. We have the ability to interrupt that thought pattern. We have the ability to control our actions. Like you said um, earlier, that just having that thought doesn't necessarily mean you have to take action on it. So we have a decision um, if we can put ourselves in the present moment, create that space to, to observe and um, create that pause. So, um, you know, I think that that it kind of all comes back to the same source. It's like creating that awareness and really like observing and, and kind of fact checking. Where is this coming from? Is there any validity to it? You know, why am I thinking this way? Um, how does this make me feel? Where, you know, and just going through that process, which, you know, really kind of makes me believe that everybody needs some form of mindfulness practice in their life. Um, but I also think that sometimes it's difficult to get everybody on the same page as far as like, well, everybody should be meditating. Everybody should be journaling. And a lot of people just aren't willing to, to take the time to do that. And um, is there like a, a basic level of like mindfulness that you kind of start people with? And obviously everybody's different. So for somebody, it's like meditation is a great option. They can jump right into it. Somebody, you know, for other people, it's journaling and they can jump right into that. But where do you kind of start with like, here are some base level options that we can begin to create this mindfulness routine? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'm thinking actually about a specific client right now who has never really done any sort of meditation before, but is definitely like just now like dipping her toe into personal development and like really trying to like figure out her whys behind thing and behind things. And this is all stemming from essentially me just like saying these things over and over again and her eventually getting to the point where it's like, oh, maybe I want to work on figuring out why I feel this way. And I'm like, yes, it's <laughs> exactly what you want to do. Um, but so we started to talk about like, okay, what sounds good to you? Is it journaling? Is it meditating? Um, what do you have time for? What does that look like within your schedule? You know, and all comes down to trying to fit it into your life. Like if you truly can't, it's just not going to happen. Um, so what we ended up doing, and this could potentially work work for you if you're listening, um, or you can try to think of a way that it could potentially work um, in a different capacity. But she takes her dog for a walk twice a day for about a half an hour, once in the morning, once in the evening. This is something that she's already doing. It's already a habit. It's already fits into her schedule. It's just something that she does. It doesn't take a lot of thought. It just happens, right? So how can we potentially like draw on this habit that's already been created and try to add a new habit to it? This is called temptation bundling in the literature. And it's essentially like taking something you're already doing, something you already enjoy doing. She looks forward to these walks. That's another big piece. Um, and then trying to tack on this new meditation habit. And you might think, okay, you're going for a dog walk how are you supposed to be meditating at the same time? But there really is a whole host of research out there on walking meditation. And what essentially this looks like is just doing your normal walk, but like, and don't bring your phone with you. Don't listen to podcasts. It's a great time for podcasts, but maybe not, not maybe one walk of the two of the day, no podcast, no phone, no distractions, and just focusing on your breathing, just focusing on the sounds, focusing on like listening to the pitter patter of your dog's feet, um, little things like that. And just like the birds, um, things like that. And paying attention to everything that's just really in front of you. And these are all like truly meditative practices. If you've 
never gone on a walk before without any electronics, without like running through your to-do list in your mind nonstop and just taking a second to try to push, like let the thoughts come in, but like gently push them away. (laughs) Um, And then continue to listen to um, the wind, listen to your feet, listen to whatever, um, and really focus on just like deep kind of belly breaths. And we could like go through (laughs) a whole step-by-step process on what this would look like. But essentially the idea here, right, is that she was already doing something. She already enjoyed it and wanted to add in some some form of meditation somewhere um, or journaling. So I said, okay, if you're already walking, you obviously can't write and walk at the same time, at least not safely. <laughs> so let's try this. Um, so this is something that we're working on now. Um, I don't really have any results to report back with yet, um, but there is definitely a lot of research to support this kind of temptation bundling when you are starting a new habit in general, like picking out something that you're already doing and just trying to tack it on to that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And immediately I thought of people who have a morning routine established, mm-hmm. they have a wind down routine established and, and kind of leveraging what they're already doing to say, do you have five minutes at either of these? Let's say you're somebody who's like big into your wind down routine. Uh, do you have five minutes to do some deep breathing, to do some meditation, to write in a journal and, and add it onto something that already exists? Or do you have five minutes in the morning as you're going through that morning routine um, to add five minutes? And, and I think the, the biggest thing is starting with, with the realistic amount that you can commit to, even if it's one minute. You know, And I think we have this tendency to kind of go zero to a hundred. It's like, I want to do everything. I want to, you know, start meditating and, and be a, you know, a master overnight. And like, you know, understanding that we have to start somewhere and whatever that realistic amount is that that is better than nothing. Um, and it's going to get you in the habit and you're already kind of doing this thing. So leveraging your, your behaviors that are, are positive that you can just add on to that. So um, I had always referred to it as habit stacking because of the book Atomic Habits from James Clear, but um, temptation bundling. I'm going to start using that because I actually like that <laughs> phrase better. Um, so I want to kind of you know start to wrap up here. I think this is, again, every time you come on and every time I read your post, it's just so much information to digest and it always sends me like on these like (laughs) tangents my mind races anyway but like you definitely get me thinking on like a deeper level which i appreciate fuel to Um, the fire (laughs) yeah exactly exactly um so you know the last thing is i just want to um give you the opportunity because we referenced like a million different instagram posts for you and i just want everybody to be able to follow what you've got going on um all of your content and just like be able to understand where we're coming from and, and start to learn some of these these strategies that you're talking about and put them into place. So if you can just kind of promote yourself and let everybody know where they can connect with you. Yeah, absolutely. So my favorite place to hang out is definitely Instagram. I am at Coach Casey Joe. I'm working on being on more than one social media platform, but it, one is a lot already. So um, definitely look out for me there. Follow me. Come say hi. Let me know what you liked about the podcast. I also have something really cool that I recently just put out. Um, I don't know when this podcast will go up and how recent it is now that you're listening. Um, but you can find my habit formula at kjocoaching.com. And I'm sure maybe we can put a link in the show notes or something. Um, but this is totally free. Aside 
essentially it walks you through, and since we were just talking about habits, I feel like it might be something quite beneficial. It essentially walks you through picking out what behaviors are going to be most beneficial for for your goals, essentially like a interactive online form. And it also requires you to like get out a piece of paper and actually write some stuff down. So if you are looking to kind of get into journaling or get into some more healthy habits, things like that, and just aren't really sure where to start, this is a really good option for you. Yeah, that's perfect. And I'll definitely link that in the show notes. I'm going to link the coronavirus post directly. And then I'm also going to link your Instagram so everybody can follow you. Um, it's, it's truly some of the best content you can tell, like, and I'm just going to be honest, like I am a long form writer. I like to write my email blasts. I like to put them on Facebook. And then like, I have the hardest time, like, even showing up on Instagram regularly, just because it's like not my style as far as being condensed into, you know, however many characters and, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm long winded as anybody who's ever had a conversation or been on my podcast knows like, but you do such a good job of like curating your posts and having the graphics to go along with it. So um, it really is, is awesome. And it's all obviously free content. And then to take advantage of the, the habit formula that you have, I will definitely link all of that. So um, I'm excited to see like you and Sam have, have both been like, you know, killing it lately so it's awesome to see your growth um, individually and together with you know the the mentorship that you guys have going on and and all the different projects that you're working on so uh, I'm excited to see that continue and I seriously appreciate you coming on the show again um, and we'll we'll talk very soon you're so sweet I feel like I need to like bring you around everywhere to just like talk me up (laughs) there you go I'll do your intros and and outros exactly thanks so much Mike all right we'll talk soon